Good morning. Our scripture lesson today is in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 21. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhet of abel Mahala, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Thank you so much, uh, Deanna. There are places around the world where people go on a regular basis. Sometimes they have thousands and maybe millions of people a year. And they're places of great respect where people, you even going on the, on the property or at the place is a place of reverence and awe seem to come over you. Elijah in this story has gone to one of those places, Mount Sinai. So many of you have been with us as we've kind of been working our way through the story of the life of Elijah. And what you find with Elijah are there, there are these highs and then there are these lows. And, and it does seem to be a little bit of a roller coaster. We've seen those high, highs and lows, particularly through Elijah. And we've said each week that Elijah is as human as we are. And that helps us get a, a glimpse into him. And last week, we traced Elijah as he has come to Mount Horeb. And he went to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, another name for it. He went there because he was actually, despite his best efforts to lead God's people to to change, to turn back to God, the people of God didn't seem to be making that change. As a matter of fact, far from that. 
It even seemed like Elijah's life was in jeopardy under threat from the queen who wanted to take his life. And so he, he fled and he decided to go to a place that actually a good distance away, Mount Sinai. Why, why did he pick that place? Why did he go to Mount Sinai? As a matter of fact, as I was reading this week and as I was thinking about it and even trying to do some research, I don't know that any other Israelite came back to Mount Sinai after the people of Israel left. I don't know that anybody ever came back here. Why did Elijah? Why did Elijah come back to this place? What is significant? God's people left it centuries before. Why come back here? I think if we take a look just even for a few moments at the setting of this place, like what happened at Mount Sinai? What happened at Mount Horeb? That may help us get insight into exactly why did Elijah come back here. Mount Sinai signified some things. If you just kind of go back in history of the Bible, Mount Sinai was a place where God was speaking, where God spoke. Particularly, you're probably familiar with the Ten Commands that God gave from, gave Moses at Mount Sinai. But that, that's certainly not all that God said. God gave laws for sacrifices and offerings and feasts and priests. And there was a, a whole collection of things that God spoke. God, God not only spoke at Mount Sinai, but he formed the nation of Israel, really, at Mount Sinai. Kind of gave them, this is, this is who you are as a people. This is your identity. You're formed by God's word. And he had done that at Mount Sinai. You can certainly read in the book of Exodus, particularly from Exodus 18, 19 on, of God forming his people. Not only did he speak and not only did he form his people, but God, God made a covenant, a solemn promise with his people at Mount Sinai. He told them he would continue to speak to them. He told them he would provide for them. He gave them his name and that name would would mean a special relationship with them. As a matter of fact, Exodus 34, kind of the peak of God speaking at Mount Sinai, it's Sinai, it says the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the covenant. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. This is where God's people centuries before had promised to obey God. All that you say, Lord, will do. We'll follow you. This was a place where God spoke. This is a place where God formed his people. This is a place of covenant. All that had happened at Mount Sinai. And now Elijah's back. Back there. And you read Elijah's words. And you begin to sense everything that is going on in Israel at that time seems diametrically opposed to everything that happened at Mount Sinai. It seems like it's going counter everything that God's people had promised. All the laws that God had laid out. As a matter of fact, God's people moved so far from him that Elijah's words at Mount Sinai, you know what they sound like? They actually sound like a prosecuting attorney making an indictment. Saying, God, this is the evidence. Here are the charges I'm bringing against your people. Because they're not living up to the promise and the covenant that was made here at Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, as you read in verse, actually you see it in 10 and verse 14. 
There's, there's some things that particularly Elijah identifies. He says, the people have forsaken your covenant. Again, the covenant is this binding promise that spoke of God's steadfast love. Your, your people have said, no thanks. They've rejected it. Do you notice what else that Elijah calls attention to in verse 10 and verse 14? He says, they've torn down your altars, Lord. What were the altars? The altars were the place where sacrifice had, had been designed and given by God to, to lead to reconciliation with him. They would lay things on these altars and, and God had spoken that at Mount Sinai. And here Elijah saying, yeah, your people have actually torn down those altars. They don't care about that anymore. They don't care about being reconciled with the holy God. And Lord, here's, here's another piece of evidence that I want you to consider. They, they are trying to take the life of your prophets. The prophets were the ones that were commissioned to speak for God. To speak the truth for God. And Elijah's on Mount Sinai saying, they're guilty. Do you, do you hear in Elijah... As he says, your name, your altars, your covenant, your prophets. Elijah is very jealous for the Lord. You know, I think if we pulled deep into Elijah's heart, and he's not perfect, he's as human as we are, but I think if we pulled deep into his heart, what we would see is a man that desperately wanted people to love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think we would see a man that desperately wanted God's people to have no other gods before him, to make no images but to love the Lord. I think this is what made him tick. And, and uh, he prays intensely. He, he cares about the things of the Lord. It actually is uh, it's a challenge to me. Do I grieve that more people don't bow the knee to Jesus Christ? Does that bother me in any sort of way? When I see the name of Jesus Christ blasphemed? Does that, does that bother me? Because I, I, I want people to love the Lord. Elijah is in Mount Sinai and he, he calls on the name of the Lord and the covenants of God and, and, and the altars and the sacrifice. And Elijah says, if, if that's all what happened on Mount Sinai, none of that, none of that is going on right now. Elijah's come to pour out his heart before the Lord and the Lord listens. It almost seems like Elijah has a question. I know in some ways I'm, I'm putting words into his mouth, but I, I think this is the question that Elijah's chewing on. I think this is why he's come to Mount Sinai. I think he's asking the Lord this. Are you still at work? Is God, the Lord, still at work? I mean, you worked back in that day. But here I am again. I just left Israel, and it's a mess. Are you still at work? Are you still at work? What I see unfold is that God leads him there and meets him there. And God has already shown, we, we talked about this last week, God has already shown Elijah how much he cares for him. He's already invited Elijah to speak about what's on his heart. And, and the answer that Elijah is going to get to that question is, are you still at work here? I think will give us an opportunity, church. I think it'll give us an opportunity to listen in because I think there's things that Elijah needed to learn. Or maybe I'd better say relearn that I think will help us learn and relearn as well. Because God's going to remind Elijah that despite how things might look, he's still at work. Despite how things may look, he's still at work. As a matter of fact, you, despite how things may look, God is working, first of all, through his word. God is working through his word. 
Not just the fireworks, but through his word. In this text, there are a range of things that Deanna read a moment ago that Elijah saw and heard. I mean, so there's this great wind and there's this earthquake and there's this fire. And did you, did you hear what, what was said about each one of those in verse 11 and 12 and 13? It said that yeah, God wasn't in those. Well, certainly we know God inhabits the, the world, but, but it's saying there's this, special, there's this special revelation that God is making through his word that he's not even making through the earthquake and the wind and the fire. God is speaking, God is working through his word, and maybe it's easy to, after you've seen the fireworks, after you've seen the earthquakes, and you've seen the wind, and you've seen the fire come from heaven, maybe God's low whisper, or translations we're familiar with, maybe a still small voice, maybe that seems less impressive, less spectacular. Like, oh, if I could just see a sign, that would tell me, like, you're really, you're really working, God. I just need a big sign, and Elijah doesn't get a big sign. Elijah gets a a voice. A voice and God is speaking. God works through his word. And I I would imagine that probably most of us in this room would have no problem acknowledging that. Yeah, God works through his word. What does that look like real time? I, I I can only speak for myself. So I just... I want to go back in my week. And I'll only do this because I don't really know how God spoke to you in, in his word this week. But I just want to take you a little bit into some of my week and how God used his word. Just that low whisper, that still voice, the word of God. So I didn't have a house fire this week. Praise God, right? No earthquakes. Not this week at my house. No tornadoes touched down in my neighborhood for me to really hear from God. This week and on Monday, we have, generally have our staff meetings on Monday. And uh, Chris, who began our service today, opened up the word and just read a couple verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and this, these were the verses he read. I, this is Paul writing, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. And Chris said, why don't we, before we start our staff meeting, think about the people in our congregation that regularly refresh our spirits. And that was a prompt. God's word prompted me, still small voice, to think through so many of you that regularly refresh my spirit and encourage me. Then Tuesday, I was reading. I have a Bible reading plan, and I'd be glad to share that with you. If if you're interested, feel free to ask. But my Bible reading plan took me through Matthew 13 this week. And in Matthew 13, I read the words of Jesus. Jesus said, For truly I say to you, the disciples, that many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and didn't see it, and longed to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And I thought in that moment, this is how God's word worked on me this week. This is how God spoke through his word. I thought about the privilege I have that even the disciples, the 12 apostles, didn't have. Now, I, I, I even know the end of the story, and I have 2,000 years of church history of God being faithful to his people. Many before Christ longed for this, and I just opened my Bible and I read the story. We sang about, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. I was reminded again, the privilege I have to just open my, open my Bible or even turn on my tablet and just begin to read of that old, old story once again. And I get to hear the words of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And it wasn't no tornadoes. But in that moment, I thought, how privileged am I? I don't have a God that's just 
so distant, but I have a God who speaks. On Wednesday, I read Psalm 33, and this is what I read. The king is not saved by his army. A warrior is not saved by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it can't rescue. But the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. And I was thinking about that verse, especially in light of all the desire I have for Ogletown to reach half a million people in Newcastle County with the gospel to play a part even in partnering with other ministries. And I think, oh, I, 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 want us to, I want us to be on point and I want us to have effective strategies. I don't want us to do things that don't work. I want us to be effective and I want us to be deploying our energy in the right ways. But then I, I recognize it's not just about strategies and doing this and that. It's, it's about the Lord. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. So if I think uh, this program or this can't miss thing that is emailed to me daily of, this will get your church up and going. If I think that is the hope for our church, it's a false hope. Only, only God can build our church. On Friday, I read Matthew 16, 25 and 26, and I highlighted it just to remind myself of it. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I needed to hear that. Because I don't get that in commercials. I don't get that in every, all the junk mail that's, that's mailed to me. I don't have that necessarily coming up internally. I, I want this and I want that. I, I actually want to make my life more comfortable. And here I hear the voice of Jesus saying, No, no. It's about losing your life for my sake. I'm trying to hold on to it so tightly. And then just yesterday, I read Psalm 40. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. And I thought, I thought about this very moment where I was going to get to gather with you and get to gather together and say, partly by our voices, we are singing, how great is the Lord. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazareth and wonder how he could love me. And I thought, that's what we're going to do tomorrow. We're all going to gather together and say, great is the Lord. It's a, it's a small voice. There, there, were, there were no fireworks. Actually, my neighbors are probably glad there aren't earthquakes and fire and wind that happens every time I open my Bible. Your neighbors are glad too. They're probably glad it's a, a still small voice. But make no, make no mistake. God's working. God's shaping us. What does this week hold? It may not be the fireworks, but I may need to hear again that Humans can't live by bread alone. They live by everything that comes out of God's mouth. That's what they live by. Despite how things may look, God is working through his word. We can also see something else. Despite how things may look, God actually is ruling the world. God is ruling the world. We have to kind of use our imagination here a little bit to fully appreciate what happens when Elijah is sent to Hazael and also to Jehu. If, if you can work with me a little bit in this scenario, imagine that one of our neighboring nations here is hostile. So imagine either Canada or Mexico is hostile to us. And imagine that someone from their nation, their country, is given an assignment they say is from God to come anoint our next president. And then they also say they are given an assignment from God to anoint their next prime minister or their president. You would say... <laughs> That's not the way it works. 
You don't come into our nation tell it. You can't just say, oh, you're the next one. That's not the way it works. Well, we don't think that's the way it works now. That's not the way it worked then either. And yet Elijah is given a commission to go into Damascus, Syria, and to anoint the next king of that nation, which was hostile to the nation of Israel. Just amazing. God is teaching us that he rules the world with truth and love and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Hazel, king of Syria. Jehu, next king over Israel. They're anointed and commissioned by God and God gives that assignment to Elijah. And as the assignment is given, we're reminded that God isn't just God over this little group of people, but he's God of the nations, God of the world. He rules the world. Can I remind you of something very, very important? I, I try to keep up with the, what's going on in the world. Generally, it's, it's not a happy place, is it? It's awful. It's blowing up. Yet, I, also, I have to be reminded, God, God is in charge. He's ruling the world. But, but let me remind you of this. If he can rule the world, if he can rule the nations, then we can trust him. We can trust him to rule our, our lives. We can trust him to rule that complicated office situation. We can trust him to, to take care of our homes. We can trust him in our classrooms. We can trust him on the, the floors where you are a nurse. You can trust him. He rules over your commute. He rules over the class schedule or your, even your commission. He, he, he oversees job transfers. He, he's not such a small God that he can't deal in the currency of resumes and job applications and school applications. This is a God who rules the nations. He rules over bills and budgets and even car problems. So we see God ruling the world, and I want you to know it, but I also want you in your heart to say, whatever is troubling me right now, it's not as if that's a real, real barrier because, boy, God couldn't work through that. No way. Now, God is in charge. I think it must have been hard for Elijah to even envision life beyond Ahab and Jezebel. Oh, but God does, doesn't he? Yeah, after they're done, Jehu's the next one. After I clear them out of the way, imagine Elijah. Like, oh, there's life beyond that? It's amazing. There is a bigger world. God had a bigger plan. And there's no boundaries or obstacles that make God's work undoable. And along with the fact that God rules the nations, he rules the world... An implication of that fact is, is, is something we see in the next verses. And that is that God judges sin. As you read verse 17, it's not as if Elijah is just going to, going to anoint Hazel and Jehu and then Elisha for no reason. Verse 17, and we can read it, it says, The one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall be Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. What, what God is reminding Elijah is, yeah, I see the sin. I see the wickedness of my people, and they will be judged, and judgment will come severely. Make no mistake. I will clean house in Israel. Elijah, your, your complaint is right. They have forsaken the covenant. God judges sin. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways. We have to remember that because at times you... I think of the persecuted church. I think of pastors in countries where they are arrested simply for sharing exactly like I'm 
I'm trying to do today. Leading a congregation. I think of the, the culture of death that our, life's, our, our, our world seems to celebrate. I, I think of people that blaspheme God. I, I look at racism and violence and materialism and injustice and people unfaithful to their commitments. And you go, how long? How long? That's not right. How long? Even when it gets personal, you look at how you're tormented, how sin, other people's sin, has impacted your own life and the strife and the stress you deal with. And you say, how long? How long? And eventually, I... I think we've got to recognize the Lord says, I will judge. I will judge sin. As you continue to read, you see God at work in another way. In verse 18, Elijah would learn, or maybe I should just say relearn, because he's he's learned this in the past, that God knows how to sustain his people. God will sustain his people. Verse 18, it says, I will leave this is God speaking, I will leave 7,000 in Israel. That word leave is an interesting one. It can mean a couple different things. It could mean I've selected 7,000 or I am causing to remain 7,000 people. You just even put the numbers together. Seven is, seems to be like this number of perfection and 1,000 means a lot. So I, I, I just think it's a, a recognition of to Elijah, there are a lot of people and they are perfectly in my plan. I'm going to sustain them. I don't care what Jezebel tries to do and what Ahab tries to do. I have my hand on their lives. God cares about his people. He wouldn't turn his back on them. They've not bowed the knee in submission. They've not kissed the statue in loyalty. They bow the knee to the Lord, the one true God. They have allegiance to the Lord. I have to wonder if those 7,000 that were just named... are. They always feel like it's going to be okay. Probably not. Probably not. Probably they wondered at times, is, is the Lord going to keep us? Are we going to be all right? Did they pray those prayers? I'm sure they did. And yet kind of the Lord just pulls back the curtain and says, I'm sustaining them. And we have to rem- remind ourselves that God has a people. Elijah had seen God in judgment, but this is Elijah being able to see God in his grace. 7,000 people. I'll tell you, a real joy of being at Ogletown on a regular basis is seeing multiple generations that love the Lord with all their heart and see us worshiping together. See us filling this parking lot together. And I look at some of our younger church family. And I think of the world they're growing up in. And I see them eager to follow the Lord despite the distractions where they've got a computer on their pocket, in their pocket all the time that connects them with the world. And I see them growing up living in a world that's filled with pornography. And I see their hearts loving the Lord and wanting to choose Christ over, over the sin over their own way. I'm so encouraged by that. Despite the irreverence where people have no time for the Lord, where they get made fun of in the schools and in colleges, it so encourages me to know, just like this passage, God is going to build his church. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. They're going to faithfully love the Lord. And I'm so grateful that our church supports that. Elijah's ministry had often been isolated, and here he gets reminded God's going to go on with his work. 
And at times it may seem very insignificant, but God has faithful people like Elijah, and he had faithful people like Elisha, and he had 7,000 others, and he has you, and he has you. And he has you in this place for a particular reason. Over and over again, we see God reminding, despite what you see, Elijah, I'm at work. I think we especially see that in the fact that God uses people that are ready to follow him. God uses people that are ready to follow him. Elijah's next move is to find Elisha. You read about it in verse 19. He, he leaves this encounter with the Lord. He departed and he found Elisha. And Elisha receives the mantle. That's, a, that's actually a big sacrifice. Elisha has these 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, that's actually a very rich person in this culture. And Elisha is presented with a, a commission with that mantle. You're, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow the Lord. He goes back to kiss his father and mother. This isn't like, ah, oh, maybe I should or maybe I shouldn't. This is actually, he's prepared to make a complete break with the past. He goes back only to just sever the relationship with his parents and say, I am, I'm with Elijah now. I'm going to do the Lord's work. As a matter of fact, Elisha's name means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. So maybe his parents had prepared him for this very moment where God would call on him to give everything, everything. And he follows in that moment. Elijah tells him, you can go. What have I done to you? Or I haven't done anything to prevent you from going back and and kissing your father and your mother goodbye. But remember what I have done to you. Remember the call in your life. When I think about this, a commitment Elisha makes, I think, well, that's a major commitment he makes. You begin to wonder, like, is that unique in, in, like, well, that's kind of for Elisha. That was a big one. I think in some ways, yeah. I mean, the stories of Elijah and Elisha are, some of the grand stories of Scripture, but in some ways, this call is actually not that unique. Because God always has the right to command our obedience. We're always servants. Should be ready to do what our master tells us to do. Elijah just shows us the 100% demand the Lord makes. When Jesus calls us, he's not ignorant. He's not ignorant of the things that make us feel secure the things that feel really familiar to us, and then he calls us, follow me, despite that. Follow me. Maybe it's that ambition. We really, really want this, and Jesus says, you're going to have to leave that behind. But follow me. Maybe it's people you encounter, and, and Jesus says, my demand on your life is going to impact that. My, my demand on your life is going to impact your time and your resources. You're going to have to pray prayers like, not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come. I don't think Elisha is just the super follower of God. I think this is what it means to follow him. Lord, wherever you go, this is exactly what Matthew did. Lord, wherever you go, I'm going. God uses people who are ready to follow him. If you're like me, when you come to a story like this, you realize... You do realize there's so much that we need to learn and relearn. But for years, can I tell you, for years I I would read stories like this and hear stories like this and actually learn a lot and find things that I could apply to my life. One thing I didn't always do is I didn't always connect stories like this with other places in Scripture. And I think that's so, so important. I've come to realize how important that is because the Bible doesn't just tell a bunch of little, little stories. 
that are all disconnected. Actually, the Bible is one big story, isn't it? It's an overarching story. It is the big story. And my goal isn't to just pull one story out and take a couple lessons from that and pull that story out and take a few lessons from that. But one of the things I ought to see is, like, how does this story fit into a bigger story? We have Elijah on Mount Sinai with, uh, the scripture tells us he's there 40 days and 40 nights, and we have him in the wilderness and talking about a covenant and a voice coming, reminding him that God's at work. And when I read that, I think immediately of some scripture that I read this week in Exodus, where another man was on a mountain, his name was Moses. And the whole 40 days and 40 nights and God providing food and water, and, and you just think all the parallels, and, and, and there's too many for it to be a coincidence of, of the covenant given to Moses. And so I begin to put these together. Okay, so Moses, and we have this parallel story of Elijah, and the parallels become even more than just a coincidence when you see this big promise that God had spoken through Moses in Deuteronomy. This is what God promised, and I want, again, let's see the big picture here. So God said this through Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for for you a prophet. This is hundreds of years before Elijah comes. And he'll be like me from among you, from your brothers. And you need to listen to him. Somewhere out in the future, God will raise up a prophet. But then we recognize, I don't don't think Moses is talking about Elijah because Elijah had his day and left. Oh, he anointed Elisha, maybe Elisha's, that prophet that would come. But Elisha had his day and, and left. Again, this is where we need the whole story of Scripture because at a point in time, hundreds of years after Elijah and Elisha, came another man speaking just like a prophet. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he would speak, some of the people said, is he Elijah? Interesting. Is he Elijah? Is he speaking the words of God with authority? He went into a wilderness for 40 days and nights. He provided food and drink. He preached with authority. He did miracles. He even even raised the dead. This man, Jesus, one time went to another mountain. It's just interesting what happened on that mountain. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen, but Matthew 17 tells us what happened on that mountain. I just want you again to let's see the big picture. Because Moses said a prophet's coming, and Elijah, was he that prophet? No, he's not that prophet. After six days, though, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. He led them up in a high mountain by himself. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to James, John, Peter. Who was there? Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, this is like the understatement of the millennia. Lord, it's good that we're here. And if you wish, let's, let's make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And notice there's a voice. There's the voice again. The voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to that voice. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. They were terrified. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they didn't see anyone but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. 
know what that tells me? The prophet that Moses talked about, the prophet that Elijah longed for that would just turn the people's hearts back to the Lord, he had come. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is what Moses was talking about. This is who Elijah was longing for. He could change the hearts of the people of Israel. He could change the world. He'd go to the cross for the sin of the covenant-breaking people of God. He would go to the cross and he would offer restoration with God. He would bring in the kingdom of God. What I'm reminded is Elijah had a really, really important story, a significant role in the big plan of God. But as we even listen to Elijah speak, we say, Elijah, your focus might even be too narrow. Because it's not just about your story, Elijah. But you're playing an important role. And as we zoom out, it's as if God is reminding Elijah, your story is an important part of a much, much bigger story. And I would say that to you today. Your story is an important part of a much bigger story. And it's the story that has its focal point is Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, when the Heavenly Father says, this is my son, listen to him, are you? Are you listening to him? Have you heard his voice call you? Do you know him in a personal way? Has that become the priority of your life, to listen to that voice? See, the call today isn't just even to adhere to a certain kind of religion. The call is to listen to the voice of Jesus. To pay attention to that. To go wherever he tells you to go. To repent as he tells you to repent. To believe as he tells you to believe. Well, this morning, if you need to talk with someone, we'd love to have that conversation. To talk with anybody here about what it means to hear that voice of Jesus. And to follow him. Well, this morning, we could live for our own little small story or we could say, I think it's an important story I have, but it is much, much bigger story that I'm a part of. And for that, I'm grateful. Let me ask you to bow your head. In these moments, maybe you hear the low whisper of the Lord. Maybe he's been speaking to you for some time, calling you to turn, calling you to trust, calling you back to himself. Listen to Jesus. Maybe you need to be reminded that he, he uses people ready to follow. He sustains his people. Maybe you need to be reminded that he is working through his word. Today, let's listen to his voice. Oh, Lord, thank you for the reminder we have from Elijah. I thank you, just, I thank you Lord, that you're a speaking God. I pray that you would speak to your people today we'd have clarity on what we're supposed to do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.